freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark. Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com, the network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, December 16th, 2012. The show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central time. We have a good show lined up for you here today. We're going to continuing uh, be continuing to talk about uh, our inherent human right to defend ourselves from violence something that is so pertinent and poignant in particularly today's times with what is is going on and has been going on with a continued effort to encroach upon that right and to take it away from American citizens and actually people all over the world. The event that just took place in Connecticut, everybody has been talking about. Usually, I do not talk about just current event issues, but I'm going to make an exception for the show today because it's amazingly synchronistic that this event would take place during the time that I've been hammering on the topic of self-defense, the Second Amendment, the inherent right to own a weapon and to, to use it in the defense of one's self when violence is being conducted against you. We're going to continue to talk about that here today on What on Earth is Happening. Before we get into uh, the topic, uh, I also want to give out the uh, call-in number because I want to take calls on this topic. I want to continue to ask the question that I've been asking for the last couple of weeks here on the show, and that is, were the actions of the founding fathers of this country and the others who waged the Revolutionary War against the British Empire to begin the foundations of America, were those acts acts of love or acts of hate? And why do you think so? So I'll give the call-in number right here at the top of the show. The call-in number to join us toll-free is 866 
866-841-1065. Once again, the call-in number, 866-841-1065. The topic is the inherent right to defend oneself from violence. The grabs at, uh, at taking away that right that are being made as a result of such uh orchestrated events such as these school shootings that we've seen over the last decade or more and uh, gun control in general. But I really want to get people's take on whether they think that the people who waged the revolutionary war against the British Empire to basically found this country, were they engaged in acts of hate or was that an act of love? And why do you think so? So your call's coming up a little bit later on the show today. I have a several event announcements. There's a whole lot going on. Uh, this is going to be the last show before the fabled Mayan calendar end date that everybody is, you know, making all kinds of predictions about. I said at the beginning of the year, coming into the year 2012, that the, the thing that I see this uh, time period as, this prophesied time period as is simply a window of opportunity that the message of truth and freedom is either going to be accepted and integrated into the human mind and heart or it will be rejected. That is what this, and then rect cosmic retribution will need to fall upon humanity. And I, I look at this whole time period when all of the truth is being unveiled and being revealed and spoken to the people of earth, that this is simply an, uh, a window of opportunity for them to either accept or reject the message of truth. And that's what I've always seen this time period as since I became aware of all of the prophecies associated with it. I don't see it as necessarily a cataclysmic time, nor do I necessarily see it as some time of sudden uh, awakening that is put forward by a lot of new age uh, channels and uh, new Age devotees. Uh, I look at it simply as an opportunity that the ugliness of the, the truth about what's really going on in our world will be put out there so that people cannot claim ignorance of it. I, I'm sorry, that so people cannot claim nescience of it, I should say. And they will either accept it and then act upon that information and change things for the better, or they will stay in ignorance, in willful ignorance, and then they will reap the negative consequences of such willful ignorance. That's what I've always seen, quote unquote, 2012 as. So I fully expect to be here next Sunday. Uh, I don't think anything catastrophic or cataclysmic is going to occur between now and then. So with that having been said, let's talk about some events that are going to be happening over the next couple of weeks into the future. Uh, the Free Your Mind 2 conference, of course, the, the huge event coming up here in 2013. We're all still going to be here. I've, I've said before, there's no way we're, we're going away because we have way too much work left to do. So much work is left unfinished, you know. So plan on being around in 2013 and plan on being at the Free Your Mind 2 conference here in Philadelphia. A conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, April 25th through 27th, 2013. The location is the Arch Street Meeting House 
at 320 Arch Street here in Philadelphia. The doors will open at 8 o'clock a.m. each day. The featured speakers for the Free Your Mind 2 conference, Alan Steinfeld, Alfred Weber, Andrew Bashago, Ben Stewart, Bob Tuscan, Kathy O'Brien, Curtis Davis, Dr. Dream, Freighter X, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, Jay Parker, Jim Fetzer, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, Lennon Honor, Lorraine Moray, Mono Davina, Mark Passio, Mark Phillips, Marty Leeds, Randall Carlson, Ross Ben, and Sonia Barrett. Incredible lineup of speakers. We may have a surprise announcement of another speaker that is going to be added to the For Your Mind conference. We will uh, be able to report that to you within the next week or two. The advanced ticket prices for the Thursday conference, $30. For the Thursday meet and greet with the speakers, including a vegetarian meal and a concert afterwards featuring the Divine Hand Ensemble Orchestra centered around the theremin instrument played by Mono Divina. Uh, this is a, a phenomenal event on Thursday evening. Only $20 to attend that. And the uh, concert concert featuring the Divine Hand will actually be a separate ticket, $10 at the door. And you don't need a conference ticket if you just want to attend that. So uh, anyone in the Philadelphia area can come out on out to the, the concert at the end of the night on Thursday and see the Divine Hand play at the Arch Street Meeting House. The Friday conference, only $40. The Saturday conference, $40. All three days, the whole package, including the speaker meet and greet with a meal and a concert afterward, $120. For speaker and ticket information, visit the conference website at freeyourmindconference.com. Okay, another conference coming up in New York City. I will actually be speaking at this event. The Tesla Science Foundation presents Why Tesla Matters taking place in the, the New Yorker Hotel, the New Yorker Hotel, the, the place of Tesla's death at 481 8th Avenue in New York City, January 5th, 6th, and 7th of 2013. This event is going to mark the 70th anniversary of Nikola Tesla's death. He died on January 7th, 1943 at the New Yorker Hotel. I will be speaking at this event on January 6th. I believe that is on a um, uh, Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm, I'm incorrect. That is on a Sunday. So I will be speaking on Janu Sunday, January 6th at the Why Tesla Matters Conference at the New Yorker Hotel in New York City. So uh, if you're in the New York area, come on out. It'll be a great conference over three days, tons of speakers lined up. For more information on the Why Tesla Matters conference, the 70th anniversary of Nikola Tesla's death, visit www.teslasciencefoundation.org. That's teslasciencefoundation.org. The Free Your Mind 2 conference is going to be hosting a money bomb event. We're going to be having a Money Bomb Radio Marathon to raise money for the Free Your Mind 2 conference. This is going to be taking place on January 13th. That is um, Sunday, 
January 13th from noon to midnight on American Freedom Radio. American Freedom Radio is hosting the event. It is going to be hosted by Freeman and Freighter X. Freeman and Freighter X will be bringing two speakers of the Free Your Mind Conference, will be bringing other conference speakers onto uh, American Freedom Radio for the entire day on Sunday, January 13th, uh, 2013, from noon to midnight, a 12-hour money bomb radio marathon to raise money for the Free Your Mind 2 event. So um, I probably will be doing my show on Sunday and and maybe incorporating that into um, the uh, Money Bomb Marathon that's going to be taking place on American Freedom Radio. So I'll probably be simulcasting the show uh, and those two hours will also be broadcast on American Freedom Radio. So join us on American Freedom Radio Sunday, January 13th, 2013 from noon to midnight for the Free Your Mind 2 Money Bomb Radio Marathon. Okay, let's see what other events we have. I will be interviewed as the featured activist at the next Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Live event, TFP Live, it's called. This is hosted by uh, the um, main organizer of Truth, Freedom, Prosperity, Mike Salvi. And this is going to be on the, f- the fabled end date of the Mayan calendar, Friday night, December 21st, 2012, at Underground Arts, 1200 Callow Hill Street in Philadelphia. The event starts at 8 o'clock p.m. It's going to feature the, uh, the guys from the Panic Hour, N.A. Poe and Steve Miller Miller. They're going to be doing a live pod, uh, broadcast, live radio broadcast of the Panic Hour show starting at 8 o'clock. Then there's going to be a couple of comics, a, a, a musical act, and then I will be interviewed as the featured activist for the event. Uh, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Live, TFP Live, always features uh, great stand-up comics, musical artists, and local activists from the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity activist group here in Philadelphia. So for more information on that event, check out truthfreedomprosperity.org and uh, also check out tfplive.com tfplive.com the free monthly documentary screening and discussion night hosted by truth freedom prosperity will be taking place as it always does on the last thursday of every month at a scene food market and cafe so this month it will be happening on thursday december 22nd 27th two days after Christmas, 6.30 p.m. sharp start time. Essene Market is at 719 South 4th Street. That's the corner of 4th and Monroe Streets in Philadelphia. The film for Thursday, December 27th will be Innocence Betrayed. Innocence Betrayed. This is a documentary which demonstrates how gun control has been historically used to disarm citizens and make them helpless before governments commit genocide, mass exterminations of the human population. And this is, a movie like this helps us to develop a long view of history by showing us what has always happened, the inevitable pattern that takes place. We're going to talk about this a little bit today. Whenever there's a mass genocide, you can bet You can bet 
it was preceded by a mass disarming of the population in that region because people who have been disarmed cannot fight back against a tyrannical government. And that is why we have gun rights. That's why we have any right to own a weapon and defend ourselves. It's not a right that's granted by government. It's a right that's always attempted to be taken away by government. It's an inherent right. We need no permission to defend ourselves. We have that right at all times and all places. And people need to get that through their thick skulls. Because there's people who are so completely retarded when it comes to, and, and that's, that word is not a, a slight against anybody that suffers from some debilitating condition. It means that they're slow on the uptake. That's what it means. It means slowness, retardation, slow. They don't get it. It takes them a long time to understand and to get something. Therefore, they have been retarded. They have been slowed down. And that's what the indoctrination system is all about. In, the, in Western civilization, really all throughout the world, that's what it's all about. It's to slow people's mental faculties and make them retarded or slow so that they cannot understand inherent rights that they already possess and don't need to ask anybody permission for to exercise. So we're going to get into this deeply in a few moments, but uh, this film, Innocence Betrayed, is about how genocide has been committed by tyrannical governments invariably following gun control being put into place in that particular region of the world. And it helps people to, again, gain that long historical viewpoint of understanding the pattern that takes place over and over and over again. You know the old saying, those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat it. They are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past because they ignored the pattern. They ignored the events that took place. Didn't want to see it. Didn't want to learn from it. They wanted to stay in their ignorance and their retardation, their slowness. You know, that's what we have to gain from the insight that this film has to put forward, that long view of history. And this film does a great job in breaking that down and explaining it to people who are otherwise really slow on the uptake. Okay. So that's why I'm, we're screening it this month as part of the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity uh, documentary screening and discussion evening. So come on out to that. Again, you could always um, check that out and join the meetup group for any uh, announcements of future uh, events for Truth, Fr Freedom, Prosperity. That website, once again, is truthfreedomprosperity.org. My Matrix presentation, The Matrix Trilogy Decoded, has been put online as of last week at whatonearthishappening.com. You can go into the news section to check it out. It's still on the uh, most recent news articles. It's also in the video section at the bottom, and it is also on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash whatonearth93. Whatonearth, the number 9393. So, um... Uh, I've been getting a lot of great comments back on the uh, Matrix Trilogy Decoded presentation that I gave as part of the first fundraiser for the Free Your Mind 2 conference. Uh, if people find this information of great value, I ask, uh, if, if you are in a position to do so, make a donation to the Free Your Mind conference. This was part of a fundraiser effort. You know, I put this presentation together <clears throat> to attempt to raise some money for 
all of the uh, transportation and lodging costs that have to be put up front and the building rental costs that have to be put up front for the Free Your Mind 2 event. This isn't done for free. Yes, the name of it is Free Your Mind, but there's tons of activity and you know, um, putting out of financial uh, effort that needs to be made, that needs to be done in order to host a conference like this. People think that this just happens for free somehow, magically. People step forward and volunteer, uh, you know, oh, well, oh, I see you're doing something good for humanity, so let me let all these people on a plane for free, you know? It doesn't work that way, you know? It, Train conductors aren't coming out and train companies saying, oh, I'll, I'll let them on the train and come into Philadelphia for free just because we think you're doing something good for people. That's not how it works, folks. There's tons and tons and tons of fees associated with putting something like this on to make something like this happen and bring all these people together. You know, yeah, we would like to be able to host it completely for free, but if people aren't volunteering the building space for free, if they're not volunteering the transportation for free, uh, tons of money has to be put out to make something like this happen. So we need to recoup it. We need to recoup that in donations or in ticket sales. So if you feel the work that has been done as part of the effort for the whole Free Your Mind 2 conference and the fundraiser effort that we just put on that featured this presentation, the Matrix Trilogy Decoded, if you're in a position to do so, please make a donation for the Free Your Mind 2 event. And you could do that by just getting in touch with me, and I'll let you know. Uh, mark at whatonearthishappening.com or mark at freeyourmindconference.com, and I'll let you know how you can go about making a donation to the Free Your Mind 2 cause. A any small amount, any bit is appreciated. You can make a donation as small as you want or as large as you want. So... Um, if people found that Matrix Trilogy decoded presentation valuable to them and they gained a lot of insight from it, please make a donation to the Free Your Mind 2 conference. All right. Uh, I was interviewed on the H2O radio show uh, hosted by Franco Eward and Botrax on Monday, December 10th, 2012. That interview is now up in the news section of the whatonearthishappening.com website. Uh, we, we got into carnism on that a little bit. Uh, we talked about natural law. We got into diet and nutrition and fasting. We talked about willpower. And, of course, we uh, highlighted the Free Your Mind conference uh, as part of the interview. So uh, that is up on whatonearthishappening.com uh, news section right now. Check it out. The chip-in campaign to keep the What on Earth is Happening radio show ad-free currently stands at $600. We need to raise 1000 by January 31st in order to keep the show ad-free through the February, March, April uh, three-month time period. So keep the generous donations coming in for that effort. You can uh, click on the button on whatonearthishappening.com on the home page to um, uh, find out uh, how to make a donation to the ad-free chip-in effort. Uh, people will also see that I added a general donation button to the whatonearthishappening.com website. Again, um, if people find the information valuable and want to help support the, the general effort of what I'm doing, feel free to make a donation to What on Earth is Happening by clicking the donation button and uh, then emailing me and I'll tell you how to go about making a donation uh, to What on Earth is Happening, a general support donation. Again, any little bit is uh, welcomed, and it is very much appreciated, and it helps a lot uh, to help me be able to continue the work that I do. 
All right, so that's all the event announcements that I have for today. Let's get into the topic. We have been talking about on the show over the last couple of weeks, psychopathy. And we got into all of the different characteristics of a psychopathic personality. We talked about the very, very important distinction between primary psychopathy and secondary psychopathy. Primary psychopaths are born the way they are. It is a disorder in the, the human genome, uh, along with many other genetic disorders that exist in the human genome. Again, we're going to get into in future shows why the human genome has so many disorders inherently within it. And you don't see things like that in other species on this planet. We probably have more genetic anomalies in our genome than almost any other species on this planet. And there's a reason for that. And it's a controversial reason. And we'll get into that on future shows. I happen to think that psychopathy is one of those disorders that has expressed in the human genome because of uh, the underlying reasons that all of these different genetic disorders exist or have expressed, okay? Uh, I think psychopathy is one of them. And it's a very difficult thing for people to accept because when you're wrestling with the question of, when you, when you, it's hard enough to come to the acceptance that psychopathy exists in our world, that there is something as deranged and, and crazy as the inability to feel emotions for any human being, that you only care about yourself your needs being met, and you could care less about any suffering that happens to any other living being. It's, it's difficult enough to come to terms with that, that, that this condition does exist. It's even harder to come to terms with the question of why does it exist? What put this here with humanity, this condition? Why does it exist at all? And again, we're going to begin to shift slowly over into that question. I don't want to take calls on that question today. Okay, we're talking about gun control. We're talking about the inherent right to keep and bear arms. We're keep talking about the inherent right to defend oneself against violence. And, you know, we can comment on this uh, Newtown uh, school shooting and then the subsequent gun grabs that are inevitably going to follow an event like that because that's what the whole thing is geared to do. You know, pin it on the lone nut gunman and uh, then justify gun control and gun grabs because, oh, you don't want to see this happen to more children, do you? You know, it's always a play on human emotion. And those who are under the most emotional mind control, who, who think with the emotions instead of understanding the reasons that gun ownership is so vitally important for the preservation of freedom, they'll just buy into the whole drama of it and say, oh yeah, guns need to be taken away from people. And, and again, this is because they've been so dumbed down and so indoctrinated that they have been actually turned into people who are literally retarded, completely slow in their understanding 
of an issue as important as this, which the founders of this country made so abundantly clear, there is no place for a misinterpretation. You literally have to be completely dumb not to understand or be able to interpret their words. Their words were so clear, so precise. They were so frugal about their words that they did not want to obfuscate the issue at all. They were so abundantly clear that it's impossible to mistranslate their words unless you have been put through the ringer of indoctrination and obfuscation through the, the media and the so-called educational system here in America. One hope that I have when it comes to all of this is that America has the highest gun ownership rate per capita in the world by far than any other country on the earth. Yemen is a very, very distant second. And that gives me hope. That's one of the only things I take any hope in. When I look at a gun ownership map of the world, and I'll probably, I didn't get a chance to post that. Maybe I will post that in the image section for today's show. Again, you could always check out the images for today's show uh, on the radio show page of what on earth is happening while the show is live. After the show is uh, archived, I put that up with the podcast, with each respective podcast. The images go uh, with each podcast on the podcast's page of whatonearthishappening.com. So um, the images for today were uh, just basically a repeat of last week's images. I, of course, put the Free Your Mind 2 poster, the Why Tesla Matters uh, event. And then I had the characteristics of psychopaths relisted. You could check those out. I won't go into them again. We reviewed that last week. And then there was the chart of what force is versus what violence is, the force versus violence dichotomy, which people really need to understand. I will review that this week. And then the Second Amendment um, worded as it appears in the U.S. Constitution and then also uh, worded in a way that we might word it if we were writing it today in modern colloquial English, which, which I think uh, makes it even more understandable and unambiguous. People need to understand that the Second Amendment was written with very specific intentions, and it, there is no room to interpret it at all. It is very clear ab and abundantly specific. And for people that think, oh, there's tons of room to interpret this, you're wrong, simply wrong. There is no interpretation for this. The founders were very clear by what they meant, by all the terms involved in the sentence of the Second Amendment, all abundantly, over-the-top specific. And we could get into, you know, a couple of quotes a little bit later about, you know, what they meant by specific terms in the Second Amendment. And again, this isn't just about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment does nothing, folks. It does nothing. It's words on a piece of paper that are expressing an, an idea, a concept. Okay? It doesn't grant one right or take a right away. Okay? It's, it's attempting to communicate that something should never be allowed to be done by the people. That government should never be allowed to infringe upon anyone's right, inherent natural law right, to, to defend themselves against violence. And that, it, that means whatever weaponry, 
is at your disposal, period. I don't care from a stick, from a, a pebble, from some sand that you can throw in somebody's eyes up to a nuclear bomb. Let's, let's go to that level of extremity. Yes. People say, well, would you want people having t each in individually carrying tactical nuclear warheads? Wonderful idea. How about that? Okay, so we get the, uh, the complete logical fallacies out of the way. Yes, it doesn't matter the, the extent of the weapon. It's about your capacity to wield it. And it's about nothing else. Meaning if you're put in harm's way, if you're put in a, 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 a situation of jeopardy, of life, you have an inherent right to use your capacity for force to defend your life. The end. There is no inter full stop, nothing after it. There is no interpretation needed or required. And that means any amount of force necessary to put down that act of violence. Period. I don't understand what people have such a hard time with about this. It's so simple. It's almost stupid how simple it is. And yet, see, it's because people's mind goes to the fear place. But what if always follows? But what if somebody gets hold of this weapon and then what will they do? Well, then if they use it in an abusive way, that's violence and other people have a right to defend themselves. So you come right back to the principle, period. Guns exist. If someone gets a hold of a gun and uses it for violence, other people with weaponry have a right to defend themselves with force, period. You go right back to the defense principle. There's two principles that need to under, be understood. The non-aggression principle and the defense principle. That's it. These are principles. They're called principles because they are based in truth. And they do not take away rights. They do not usurp rights. You are not taking away someone's right who has attacked you with violence if you respond to that violence with force. Let me just say that again and be abundantly clear about this. You are never taking away someone else's rights if you respond to their violence with force. You have that right to do that. And you're not taking away their right. You're not responding to violence with violence. That's impossible. If violence has been done, th there already exists an inherent right to respond to it with force, to put down that act. Okay? You already have that right inherently, and it cannot be taken away by man. It doesn't matter what he writes down on a piece of paper. It doesn't matter what other people who are willing to conduct violence will go and do. The right still exists. Cops can try to take guns away from people all they want. It doesn't make a difference. You're not taking the right away. Somebody has a right to keep a gun for their defense and to brandish it if violence is being conducted against them and put a bullet in somebody to stop that violent act of aggression. You have that right. It doesn't make a difference what law is passed. Everywhere where there's gun control laws, the rights still exist in those places. It doesn't matter if it was written. Somebody can't say you no longer have this right to do this. See, people have to understand the absolute nature of rights. Rights are not relative. They can't be granted. They can't be taken away. They always exist and they are forever. Is that an extreme position? You absolutely better believe it is an extreme position. You better know that it is. It's an extremity. Truth is extreme. It is all one way. It is not black and white. There are no shades of gray involved. It's all one way. Rights are absolute. They either exist 
or they do not exist. No shades of gray. The right to defend oneself exists and it cannot be taken away by man. The end. That's it. You either understand that because it is a law and you accept that you are under that law. You are standing under that law. It is above you because it is natural and inherent to creation. You do not supersede or stand above that law. Either you understand it or you don't understand it. Now, if you don't understand it, it doesn't mean the right goes away. It doesn't mean that nature has suddenly been changed into something that you think that it is because you're ignorant of what it actually is. It still remains unchanged. That's why it's called a law. Because it is inherent to creation and it is immutable, meaning it is, cannot be changed by anyone's whims or fancies. It, is, it exists and it is inherent to creation. It is binding at all times and places, meaning there's nowhere you can go to get out of that law. There's nowhere you can go to change that law. As long as you're in the three-dimensional physical space-time continuum that we call our universe, you are bound by that law. An inherent law, inherent natural law, under inherent natural law, you have a right to defend yourself against violence. The end. And this is what people who are all for gun control laws don't understand. No man can write a law down that supersedes the laws of the universe. And yes, this is the laws of the universe. It's not man's law. This has nothing to do with man's law. Man's law cannot say in one place you don't have a right that exists somehow magically exists somewhere else. So in New York, you can't carry a handgun. I mean, imagine this. They're telling people you don't have a right to inherently defend yourself from violence. New Jersey, you can't carry a handgun. I mean, this is, this is Nazi gun control laws. It's what it is. It's Stalinist gun control laws. It's Maoist gun control laws. You know, the, this is Cambodian gun control laws, North Korean gun control laws. And we have the beginnings of this being implemented all over America. And fearful little punk boys and girls who are know-nothings and have never read anything in their lives, don't read books, don't, don't ever think about right from wrong. Don't ever understand morality. Don't understand what inherent natural law rights are. Give their support to the government that wants to continue to infringe upon the natural inherent right to defend oneself. It's disgusting. These people are disgusting. They're not even, it's like they're not even people. There's there's some kind of dumb, degraded, retarded animal who have no idea what a right is and what a right is not. They think it's all relative and decide and based upon what some psychopath in a particular area calling themselves a politician, what their whims are that somehow right and wrong can magically be changed. They ought to be ashamed of themselves.
for even thinking that way. It's sickening. It makes me sick. It makes me angry. This is another thing I want to talk about. This new age bunk, new age movement wants to tell everybody you should never get angry about anything. Oh, anger. That means you're, oh, you're, you're not exercising true self-control. No, folks, there is such a thing as righteous anger. When you see things that are being done, that are being conducted and orchestrated to take away your rights, if you're not angry, there's something wrong with you. You've been degraded in some way. You're not a full human. You're not expressing the full range of human emotions, which includes the so-called negative emotions. You should hate what's being done in the world today. You should be angry about it. Anger gets you up to the place of consciousness, of being able to see the difference between truth and falsehood. Anger is one of the levels of consciousness that takes people up above to a higher level of consciousness. It can, if used properly, if felt when it's supposed to be felt and not suppressed, can take people up to a higher level of awareness. I'm not suggesting you just simply stay and stay angry. And I, I wrestle with that because, because the condition is perpetually so bad. I feel myself constantly being angry many times. But the anger should be transmuted. It should be channeled. Okay, so you can hear the anger in my voice. It, anger should be there. If you're paying attention, if you're really paying attention to what's going on in the world, folks, and you're not angry, there's something wrong with you. So get over this complete bunk bull notion that there's never a time to experience anger that the new age movement wants to sell you. This is all to get you to lay down. That's all it is. It's all to get you to lay down so you won't take any action, so you won't do anything, and so you'll accept your slavery. If you're not angry, you're going to accept your slavery. Use the anger to spur you on to a higher level of awareness and help you to understand what you should be doing, should be advocating. And we need to come together and speak out forcefully against this grab that is going to be going on and is going to be pushed harder and harder as they do more of these orchestrated events, these total human sacrifice rituals. And if you don't think this was another one of them, the footprints are all over it, folks, all over it. The fingerprints of this being a false flag event that just happened in in Connecticut, in this new town, okay, by this so-called lone nutter gunman. If you don't understand that this is an orchestration and it's being used to justify the continual erosion of people's inherent human rights to defend themselves because they want to take away the ability to defend yourself against tyrannical government. That's what guns are for. The ancillary thing that weapons are for, meaning the secondary usage of them, ancillary, secondary usage or secondary reason is self-defense on the street against other citizens or self-defense in your home against intruders into your home. 
Those are ancillary. And then for people that, you know, believe in the violence and aggression ideology, hunting, which I don't think is really a, a right. I think you're just taking animals' rights as a result of doing that. You're, you're going in you know, engaging in violence against other beings, not human beings, and somehow people think that's acceptable and should, you know, be continue to be engaged in and practiced, you know, that will set off a whole nother round of controversy. But, you know, go back and listen to the podcast I did on carnism. You know, if you don't think that what we're doing to the animal kingdom is being done to us, it's one of the reasons that all of this this whole prison continues to perpetuate itself called the earth, the conditions that we're experiencing on the earth one of the main driving causal factors is what we do to animals if you don't want to understand that you're you're also completely ignorant that the correspondence principle the principle of correspondence which is one of the expressions of natural law is actually going to work when we do violence to animals and it's going to rearrange the 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 field energy that we exist in and it's going to ensure that ultimately violence is done to humanity which it is being done to us every single day. Until we understand we can't do that to our animal brothers and sisters and expect it not to be done to us, we're not going to make any progress. But again, I, I'm not here to, that's not the topic of discussion here today. I'm talking about what gun rights are in, inherently exist for. The right to own and brandish a weapon against an attacker is an inherent right. And an ancillary usage or an ancillary reason for owning guns is hunting, home defense, and self-defense when walking in open territory. Those are ancillary usages of weaponry in general. The primary usage of weaponry is to defend your freedom from the encroachments of tyrannical government. And get that through your thick skulls out there, people. That's the primary usage of weaponry to stop encroachments against your inherent freedom, against your inherent rights as an individual by government, regardless of what form that takes. And you can look up tons of examples of what form it takes meaning how government goes and encroaches upon people's rights and ultimately wages genocide against them once they get them disarmed. Time and time and time and time again. You know, whether the dictator's name is Pol Pot or Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler or Genghis Khan or Julius Caesar guaranteed they're going to go and try to disarm the people that they want to conquer. And they're going to tell them, you can't have weapons. We can have them, but you can't have them. The people who conduct the violence are going to tell people who aren't being violent, you can't have weapons. You can't have guns. We can have them. We're the authorities. We're allowed, but you're not. And this is just, no clearer example could be made of, of the acceptance of human slavery. That's, that's all it is. You could color it up, you could dress it up, you could tie a nice bow tie on it, make it look pretty, but all it is, no matter how you gift wrap it, is the acceptance that someone else is your ruler and you are their slave. 
That's what the acceptance of all gun control laws are. And it's deplorable, totally deplorable. The nerve that other people actually accept, I'm a slave. Meaning themselves, they accept in their own mind that they're a slave to someone else and someone else is their authority that may command them what they can do. What kind of weapon they may own. I mean, it's just such a foreign idea to me. It's so unimaginable. Let me tell you something. I never thought that way when I was the darkest occult Satanist, you know, that you could have imagined. I still didn't think that way. That's where I don't even know where this is coming from. You know, it, it's so unfathomable to me that I can't even grasp what kind of degraded mind state you need to be. And believe me, I was in the past in a degraded mind state in my worldview. I'll be the first to admit it openly when I was involved in the dark occult. But I never had that mind state. Never. I mean, I don't. I have no idea where that comes from. I guess it's because my mind state was inherently more, uh, you know, in, in earlier in my life was just more imbalanced toward the left brain hemisphere. And the left brain, when it goes chronically dominant, the in, the personality becomes do, more dominator. You know, wanting to dominate other people. So I never took the slave mentality. I went into the left hand path of imbalance, but never the right-hand path of imbalance where I was okay with other people ruling me, telling me what I can and can't do as long as I'm harming no one else and telling me that they're my authority and therefore I'm their slave to be ruled over. That they have some kind of moral right to rule over me and I have some kind of moral right to obey their whims and commands. I mean, I, I don't, I have, that's so alien and foreign to me, I can't even conceive of where that comes from. The only place I can tell you that that comes from a self-loathing, folks. You have to hate yourself to think that way. You have to absolutely hate who you are to think that way. You have to be totally ruled by the emotions, never understand that there's a time to defend oneself from violence, and you have to be willing to say, go ahead and do whatever violence you will to me. I won't lift a finger to defend myself, which is called a total coward. That's what someone like that is, a total coward. And if you're a total coward, that means you hate yourself because you couldn't love yourself if you're a coward. You would never stand up for yourself and defend yourself if you're a coward. You would just lay down and let people run roughshod all over you, do whatever they want to you. It has to come, if you just think about it, just from a psychological standpoint, that level of of that mind state has to come. It must come from self-loathing being present within the individual psyche. It has to come from a place of self-hatred. If you truly love yourself, you understand what freedom is. You love those who you value in your life, your friends, family, spouse, children, etc. You're going to be willing to stand up and defend yourself viciously if necessary, if you're attacked. And this is what people are daring to come out and say needs to be forcefully taken away from people? Really? You're going to take away my inherent right to defend myself against violence? I don't think so. Not while I draw breath. What gives you the right? Where does that right come from in your diseased mind? 
Not in this lifetime. Hear the anger and know it comes from a righteous place. If that turns you off, then shut the radio off right now. Don't listen to it if it turns you off. If you're some meek, timid coward that is never going to stand up for your rights and defend yourself against violence, then none of us want your help or need it. Okay? We, we could go to the quote of Samuel Adams, you know? A brilliant philosopher who truly understood the inherent right to self-defense, one of the founders of this country, one of the people who, because of his courage, helped to foment the American Revolution. Which if it didn't occur, believe me, things would be a hundred times worse. You want to look at where things are headed, folks? I'll tell you where things are headed. Go watch a documentary about North Korea. That's where things are headed. That's the human future. A state exists right now that is arguably a hundred times worse than Nazi Germany ever was. You want to take a look at th that regime? Go look at it. And no, that's coming to America. If we don't turn our mindset around and understand what real freedom is. That's going to come to this country sooner than anybody realizes. You know, when, when Samuel Adams was talking to people about needing to set aside their own personal desires to come together and fight for the common cause of human freedom in the American Revolution. He was trying to explain to people that you can't love your life more than you love freedom. If you love your life more than you love your freedom, you're ultimately a coward. If you love your job, keeping your job more than you love freedom, you're a coward. If you love comfort, comfort in your slavery more than you love freedom, then you're a coward. And I mean, it's like we don't even barely have anyone today that really understands this to this level. Or can put it in such eloquent ways. It's, it's like something has been lost from humanity. He, you know, I'll read this quote from Adams. Uh, you know, and he's the person who I quoted for the Free Your Mind 2 event. That's, you know, last year I quoted from Jefferson and put that at the bottom, the footer of the page. And you know, on the program for the Free Your Mind 2 event uh, about that um, uh, Thomas Jefferson said, I swear upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. You know, a quote about mind control. He understood you have to control the mind to control the body. You have to control the mind to take away people's inherent freedom. Get them willing to give it up. This year I quoted Samuel Adams about natural law. The natural liberty of man is to be free from any superior power on earth and not to be under the will or legislative authority of man, but only to have the law of nature for his rule. That's it. Natural law. That's all there is. 
He was he understood there is no such thing as the authority of man. There is no such thing as the rule of man, of man being an authority on earth. That true freedom is only to have the law of nature for one's rule, natural law. The founders understood this. Adams understood natural law perhaps better than anyone. I mean, maybe with the acceptance of, of Thomas Paine, who I feel had, had a grasp on it to a very, very high level. Here's a, a quote by Adams. He said, if you love wealth greater than liberty, the tranquility of servitude more than the animating contest for freedom, then go forth from us in peace. We seek not your counsel nor your arms. Crouch down and lick the hand that feeds you. May your chain set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that you are our countrymen. If you're not willing to defend your freedom with force if necessary, you're a coward and the people who really understand freedom don't want or need your support or help. That's what he was saying to them. When they were responding for a call to arms to fight against invading attackers against America, they wanted to take their inherent rights away. They were saying, well, oh, if we lose, the crown might take my business away. Imagine, that's what they were concerned about. Instead of the freedom for themselves and future generations. So we're going to open up the phone lines in hour two. We're going to take a quick two-minute break. We'll be right back. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. All right, folks, we're back. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. You're on Oracle Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're talking about uh, the Samuel Adams quote about loving wealth greater than freedom. And this is something that, unfortunately has spread like a plague in modern America. You know, we didn't take the founders' words to heart. We, you know, continue to love wealth more than liberty. It's, it's a disgrace it's pe- that this has become people's God. You know, money is people's God. And if we don't come out of that mind state soon, we're, we're going to be the subjects of that God called money. And that God called money wants to put everybody into chains. And Adams was explaining this to people. He was helping people to understand if you are putting a value on money and, making, and elevating that to a greater value than something like freedom truth and freedom, you're going to, that level of cowardice and inversion of values is going to put you into your chains, literally. He understood that that's how natural law worked. 
See, but there, I, I want to read another quote that I think is very powerful from Samuel Adams. And this is a quote about willingly giving over, a, a couple of quotes actually, about willingly giving over rights to other people. So he said, quote, no people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. On the contrary, when the people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink under their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. So he was saying when morality and the lack of understanding of one's rights is on the decline, you'll be conquered from within. You won't even need to be conquered from without. People in their ignorance will just give up their freedom. And that's what is happening in the United States. He prophesied it right there himself in that quote. He said, it doesn't take a majority to prevail, but an irate, tireless minority, keen on setting brush fires in the minds of men. I'm going to maybe, I didn't uh, make slides with these quotes for today, but maybe I'll add them to the podcast so you can look for that in the podcast. I'll definitely make a couple of these uh, quotes that I'm going to read today uh, as slides and add them as images. And, you know, keeping hand in hand with this, uh, Samuel Adams also was quoted as saying that a general dissolution of principles will more surely overthrow the liberty of America than the whole force of the common enemy. When Now, listen to this here. This is so powerful and important. When, while the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued, but once they lose their virtue then they will be ready to surrender their liberty to the first external or internal invader. He understood that a dissolution, a dissolving of principles and virtue is what's going to ultimately conquer America. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure who it is. It might be Samuel Adams. It might be another. Uh, maybe it was Thomas Jefferson. He said that the Constitution was written for a holy, virtuous people and for no other. Meaning that if the people aren't virtuous, it doesn't make a difference what the so-called law of the land is. They're not going to be living under natural law. And therefore, they're going to be conquered by tyrants. They're going to willingly give themselves over to tyranny because... They don't have any inherent virtue and their value systems are degraded and what they value in their life is not what they should be valuing if they're going to have any chance of protecting freedom. So before we go to the phones, I have one more quote. This is one of the framers of the Constitution who actually co-authored the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. His name was George Mason. And he said, see, we, we read last week the, the Second Amendment, inter, you know, uh, interpreted some of the words, the, trying to get people to the understanding of the true meaning of some of the words that are used in the Second Amendment. And in getting down to some of the meanings of words, 
that people have lost their understanding of the meaning of. And the word militia was one of those words. People have this completely erroneous notion of what the term militia in the Second Amendment means. They think it means something that it does not mean. Okay? And this quote by George Mason helps to completely remove the ambiguity of what that word is. He said, what is the militia? Quote, what is the militia? It is the whole people. To disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. That's a quote by one of the co-authors of the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution. What is the militia? It is the whole people. Let me just repeat that again. The person who wrote the Second Amendment. Here's the quote by him. What is the militia? It is the whole people. What part of that is ambiguous? What part of that is open to misconstruing or misinterpretation? I'd like someone to explain that to me. But people don't think that's what the militia means. And then he goes on to say, to disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. How could you be more clear and non-ambiguous? I don't think it can be done. And yet people still think that this statement should be interpreted in some other form or fashion. And that any amount of gun control is somehow acceptable because they actually believe other people have a right that doesn't exist. You have a right, really, as an individual to take away someone else's ability to defend themselves from violence? Well, if you don't have that right, no one has that right. That right does not exist for anyone. And therefore, it can't be granted to another person. It can't be granted to another group of people that you're calling government and somehow saying you're going to magically imbue with a right that doesn't exist. It cannot be done. You can claim you're going to do it and other imbecile, moron, retarded people can actually believe that you somehow magically developed that right. They can accept your claim, your erroneous claim that doesn't exist in nature, but that will never make it true. Let's just be very clear on that. That will never make it true. It will never make that a right. No one has that right. That right does not exist in nature. So, with that quote, let's uh, go to the phones and see uh, what people have to say. Again, the toll-free number to join us on What on Earth is Happening is... 866-841-1065. Again, to join us, the topic is the inherent right to defend oneself against violence. The insane fascist slash communist grabs that are going on and attempting to be justified by people to take away people's inherent right to defend themselves, to take away people's guns. And... Uh, We're also asking the question today, do you think what the founders, what the American revolutionaries did, all right, not just the founders, but the people who waged the American revolution, what they did was an act of love or an act of hate and why you think so. So here we go. 
Let's go to the phones. Ivan and you're live on what on earth is happening. Welcome, Ivan. Ivan, I'm having a real hard time. Ivan, I'm having a real hard time hearing you. There's a lot of background noise. I know you usually call in from your place of employment, and there's some background noise sometimes, but it's kind of over the top today. So uh, I'm going to put you on hold. You want to try to make a reconnection. If you can get into a quieter place, I'll put you to the top of the line. All right, Richard in Washington, you are live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Yes, Mark. I hope we can have a short dialogue because I believe in everything of the concepts you're saying, but I'm thinking that as a, a practitioner of the trivium and the quadrium, you're actually using words in a wrong connotation. What we have, and I will defend this freedom uh, to, to my death, is we have the right to make a choice. And, and the, the real word is choice. We have a choice. Okay, you only have a right if you have some find, uh, foundational perspective, and that's what, quote-unquote, the, the Constitution gave us. It gave us rights based on that Constitution. But that's the next distinction. Natural law was a philosophy of man. The law of nature is something that we can believe in, as, as uh, the trivium and the quadrium give us, because that is an objective reality. So, you know, those, those distinctions are really important. A pacifist can make a choice not to use violence and not defend well, himself. I, 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 would, I would make a distinction that, the, the, that natural law is inherent. That there is a philosophy or an understanding based upon natural law, which is philosophical. But uh, natural law is, in, is inherent. It, it, it has to do with inherent rights and whether an, uh, an action is a right because it does not cause harm or whether an action is not a right because it does cause harm. So I would say it's not in itself a philosophy of man, but the understanding of it is a philosophy. That's the only distinction I would make, but I agree with what you've said there. Well, that's exactly why I want to make that distinction, because if you use the term natural law, that is John Locke's philosophy, as well as other philosophers. But the law of nature is a physical, objective reality of the trivium and the quadrium. And, and you have to be very specific in that, because you can get people confused by the fact that you're not talking about gravity, you're talking about a concept that yes. is, is oriented around egocentric perspective. Well, I, I, I call it natural law, as many other uh, philosophers throughout time who have understood these principles call it. You could rearrange the term and call it the law of nature. I'm not trying to split hairs on the term. If John Locke called a specific philosophy natural law, that doesn't mean it's the same thing I'm talking about when I talk about natural law. I think I've been very specific about what the term that I'm using, meaning natural law, uh, means that it is about. Well, I, I totally agree with you. You've law, defined yes. it very adequately, but 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 that's it. You're defining the laws of nature in the Constitution. It says the God of nature, yes. and nature is God. Right, and right. these are the laws, the laws of nature. Of nature. That's right. They are right. laws. Correct. But as you quoted with Adams, Adams referred to natural law because he was a follower of John Locke. They agreed to the same philosophy, but that same philosophy is not a law of nature. And, and we, can, we can point that out by, by what Thomas Paine, because you uh, and I both agree that he was one of the most outstanding of the Founding Fathers, and if you remi I'll remind you that I was uh, the person that asked you to rethink uh, the Founding Fathers. 
But in, in Thomas Paine's time, he said it is a duty of a patriot to protect his country from his government. Sure. Well, I think, because I believe now the times have changed, I think it's the duty of a patriot to protect himself from all governments. Yes, Because I agree. we have evolved. Yep. Oh, sure. And it, this is something that I, I, I totally agree. The founders did not have a total enough understanding of natural law, true natural law. They had a somewhat developed understanding of it, but they did not go far enough, which is why, again, I keep bringing up the, the, the quote by the Buddha that on the path to truth, you can only make two mistakes, not starting and not going all the way. The founders started the path to truth, but they did not ultimately go all the way. It's up to us today to understand we need to go all the way and understand all government, no matter what it is, is inherently illegitimate because it is all based on the violence ideology and it is based on taking away choice from people and ultimately that is the equivalent of making them slaves. Exactly. And the second quote by Thomas Paine, and this will get to the heart of the question you ask, it is my religion to do good. Okay, I believe that religion was instituted starting with the Caesars, the downfalls of the Caesars, and, and then picked up by the Holy Roman Empire because they want a continuation of, of subjection, is religion is being used to subjugate us, and because of that, we use that as a mistaken and fraudulent foundation to give definition to words. Right. And those words, unless you use that religious framework, don't have the same connotation. Uh, excellent point. I definitely agree. And, and that's why I'm so specific about using the term laws of nature. Right. And if that then explains your, your question. There's perhaps less level? ambiguity in that term than just natural law. But see, what, um, one of the things I've been trying to do, instead of even using the term natural law, is take it to a, a different level in the, 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 the phrase, the phrasing of, of the concept, and call it the underlying spiritual laws of creation, then it's very difficult to misconstrue what we're talking about. And th this goes to the true meaning of the word natural. The etymological meaning of the word natural comes from its uh, derivation as an Egyptian word, netter. Netter meant spirit. So when we're talking about natural, netter all, it means spiritual. So natural laws are the spiritual laws that ultimately govern the conduct of human behavior. Exactly, and that's why it's so important. If we're talking about spiritual concepts or philosophical concepts as humans, or we're talking about things we have to deal with in nature, the laws of nature, right. and then to ask your question, is it love or hate? It's neither. That's a human concept. Uh, the, the choice, I would defend my right to have choice, because I believe that's what I have as a multicellular organism, but the concepts of love and hate only exist if two or three people get together and we choose to agree to our terminology. They, don't, they aren't laws of nature. Uh, they're, they're totally misleading concepts that get us away from the true thinking of what do we have to deal with in nature. And that's why I've always recommended the Parable of the Tribes by Andrew Schmuckler. Uh, if you read that, that concept, and, and the, the second title is The Problem of Power and Social Evolution, you'll find that, that sometimes we get confused and distracted because we don't distinguish between what we as humans egocentrically call philosophy and what we as humans, as multicellular uh, real organisms, have to deal with in nature. 
Yeah, you're talking about the difference between the map and the actual territory, the actual landscape. And uh, uh, th this gets into areas of, um, you know, uh, definitions of words and semantics. But I, I think people are clear enough about what I'm talking about, the expression of love, which I've talked about before as really something that helps consciousness to expand and to flower versus the expression of fear, which is the counteracting force to that uh, force that wants to unfold consciousness and make it expand and grow. So in that context is what I'm asking people, not in the context of what do you love, what do you not like, preferences or, or choices in that sense. I'm talking about is this an act that has helped people to grow and move forward evolutionarily in consciousness or was it an act that uh, should not have been taken because it, um, you know, makes that process, that natural unfolding of consciousness move backwards or stagnate. So, uh, again, uh, I, you know, I, I could clarify that a bit, but I am putting that out there not in the terms of um, whims or likes or general preferences, but in the, the true sense of those, of those terms. I would say that love is a force in nature. It is that force which actually helps consciousness to expand and grow, whereas fear and then ultimately anything based upon that, such as hatred, will help to shut down that process. So that's the connotation that I'm asking it in. And I think most of the people who are within the sound of my voice and hearing what I'm generally talking about will not, um, you know, split hairs or go into a semantical argument. But I agree it is important to clarify that because many people will not, you know, uh, understand exactly what we're trying to get at when we're using terms like that. So uh, that's a valid point, so thank you for that. Well, that's why it's so important that we use the correct term of choice versus rights. No organism has the right or a right. All we have is choice. All organisms have a choice. Now, that choice can be to defend yourself, but like I said, the pacifist choice is not to use violence in any uh, situation. So you always have to make that distinction between philosophy and natural law right. of nature. And that's a good point. We could uh, maybe talk about on a future show um, pacifism. And uh, I could get into all the reasons that I do not think it is a good idea and that, uh, why I think that it is something that actually goes against the laws of nature to remain um, completely non-forceful in a situation where your rights are being usurped and violence is being done unto you or those around you. I do not think that that falls into harmony with right under natural law or under the laws of nature, uh, under cosmic spiritual laws of creation. So uh, maybe that's a good topic for a future show. Richard, uh, in, in Washington, thank you for the call. Great points that you've brought up. Let's go to uh, Russ in Minnesota. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Yes, I know that uh, Richard is quite a fan of this schmuckler fellow. Anyway, yeah, and Richard, you know, he, Richard thinks that his idea of a great uh, lunch is tackling a buffalo and eating its uh, intestines. I'm, I'm making light here. I'm not trying to be hypercritical, but... Sure. Well, th did you have anything to contribute to the discussion on uh, gun control in general, the inherent human right to defend oneself, or, or uh, perhaps you want to chime in on the question of... Um, uh, 
what do you look at the actions of the American revolutionaries as? Were their actions uh, the proper ones that ultimately helped uh, consciousness to move forward? Uh, and Or were they, uh, should they not have taken those actions and should they, they have not uh, responded to the violence that, w that was be being done unto them with force as they chose to do? I think they they made the right decision. Okay, I do too. What? Why do you think so? Well, probably pretty. I mean, I think that you know when we're when Richard tries to talk about nature versus you know, and he says we don't really have rights. And you know, well, yeah, rights are are something you know that we create that humans did. It, it is it's a human creation. You know, and it's like saying that, you know, a guy can't just come up to me and and take my money out of my right. wallet, you know. Which I, 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 don't, what I, don't, I don't agree that it is a human creation. Again, I think a right is something that is inherent to creation because laws that govern creation, do, that govern our choices. See, our choices are governed. This is what we have to understand. We have free will to make choices, but not without consequence. There are always going to be consequences for the actions that we take based on choices that we've made. And those laws that govern that are fixed. They're not mutable. They're not changing. They're not uh, open to our interpretation or whims or dislikes or preferences or likes. Okay, They are fixed laws that are inherent in creation that are always going to give us a, 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 a specific type of result, a specific energy. And we're creating as a result of those choices in harmony with natural law or in opposition to it with the lo these laws of creation. Okay, these spiritual laws of creation. Those laws have within them, okay, the inherent concepts of right and wrong, the inherent distinction energetically of what is going to result if this action is being taken because it is not moral, or whether this other action here, what it's going to create because it is in alignment with morality meaning did the action result in harm or did it not result in harm now when you talk about the actions of the founders people can look at them and say well their actions resulted in harm uh, I'm not the founders I shouldn't use that term the revolutionaries the American revolutionaries uh, and I'm being specific let's say the people who actually brandished weapons they brandished firearms they shot firearms and they killed other people who were coming over here to this land from England and other places in Europe to continue to oppress them at the uh, uh, the the hands at the um, re request of the British Crown. Okay, so the revolutionaries, w you could say, well, were they causing harm to the physical bodies of other people? Yes, but what was the reason that that was that 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 they chose to make that action well that's because first harm was being conducted to them they were being stolen from their rights were being stolen their physical safety was being stolen in many cases they were being put away for non crimes when they had not done anything except disobey the orders of the crown and their freedom was then being stolen so all of these things are acts of violence Ultimately, all transgressions against the laws of nature 
are acts of violence, and they all involve theft of some kind, whether you're taking someone's property without the right to do so, whether you're taking someone's uh, um, safety and you have no right to do so, when, you have, when you're taking someone's life or freedom or rights. It's all theft. So the people who were here the, from the, uh, at the behest of the crown, they, they were taking people's rights. They were taking people's property. They were taking people's freedom. They had none of those rights to do that. And yet they were conducted in those acts of violence and aggression. Well, that makes you that makes you able under natural law to engage in a behavior that you ordinarily would not be able to do without negative repercussions or consequences, namely uh, use force against that person's body. The reason you then have the right to do that is because prior to that act, you were already being you were already having violence conducted against you. Therefore, that right already existed. But see, the only way, way you have the right to engage it, in other words, you, have the, you reserve the right to use force, but you then have a right to take force, to actually use that force, only if violence is being done unto you first. When that's being done, which was being done, they then had the choice, do I want to engage my right of this potential to use force and put it into actual physical manifestation, or do I just want to continue to take this and let it go unaccosted in the physical domain? And this is what I'm trying to say. I think when people make the choice of pacifism and there is violence continuing to being, being conducted on a co constant basis and their people's rights are continuing to be eroded and they're being put further and further into chains and slavery. I feel that it is a wrong to continue to remain a pacifist. You know, if someone hits you in the jaw one time, you know, and then walks away, you know, I'm not saying you have a right five or 10 years later to go and put a bullet in that person. Okay. You know, the act has to be ongoing and continuous for you to respond with force. But what I'm saying is, is if someone kept coming to you every single day and hitting you in the jaw and you're just going to sit there and take it, that's not a right. I'm sorry. That is a wrong. You are now operating within wrong. In that in one instance, when there was no pattern and it was just a, a, a wild random act, per, perhaps you have a choice and you can say, well, I can choose to respond to this with force or I could let it go. But if it keeps happening, if there's a continuous train of usurpations and abuse as was the reason for the the declaration of independence being signed and the separation from the crown to begin with okay if there is a continuous train of usurpations and abuses being conducted and you still sit there and do nothing you are within the wrong you are not operating within the parameters of natural law at that point so the 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 ideology of pacifism, I do not look at as a philosophy. I look at it as an ideology that is not based in a deep understanding of the laws of nature, of cosmic spiritual law at all. It is based in an ideology that is ultimately based in some form of self-loathing, that you will continue to take abuse and never respond with your right to defend yourself with force. That is what the new age movement wants to convince people is the right path to take in life. And that is what religion 
is also in a big way trying to convince people through ridiculous notions such as turning the other cheek, which I do not in any way feel that the teacher in the Middle East who is referred to as Jesus, Yeshua, Yehoshua, whatever you want to refer to him as, ever told people to do. I, I feel that was added in to the Bible. It is one of those things that was added to the Bible as a result of uh, dominators in a given area wanting to control the minds of people. And again, that's even, we're not getting into the whole astrotheology of religion. Uh, even if you do accept there was a teacher or set of teachers that were teaching true, deep cosmic principles about the laws of nature in the in the location of the Middle East in general around the time of the first century AD. Um, uh, again, I don't think that was part of uh, that teacher or teacher's philosophy. I believe that that was added in uh, post that era uh, to the Bible to get people to stand down and never engage their natural law right to defend themselves uh, with force if required and if set off, uh, if a a uh, perpetual train of abuses and usurpations against their rights were being conducted. Y your your response to that? Well, I mean, in the Bible, it's really sometimes difficult to to figure out exactly who said what. I mean, I just read a verse the other day where uh, it says uh, God did not send His Son to judge, and then a few chapters later, it says. Jesus says, it was for judgment that I have come to this world. Right. You know, so, yeah, I mean, the Bible's full of, uh, I think, it was written by a lot of different people, and whatever one guy felt on one day, he would say, and another guy would say something else, and they'd attribute quotes to Jesus that, that probably were never made. I think a lot of the conversations that Jesus has with his um, his followers uh, you know, like if you've read the, like the Socratic dialogues, you've got Socrates talking with Thrasymachus and all of these other fellows. I think that's just Plato uh, put, giving his views through Socrates, who is just a, a fictional character. Interesting. And take. I see Jesus. I, I see Jesus in the same way. He's been being used sort of as a protagonist, as a mouthpiece, you know, right? In a literary work, yes. It's it's quite possible, and um, you know uh, I'll uh, if you have anything else, um, uh, go right ahead. Uh, I have a quote that I want to read about um, uh, Jesus's I idea about peace in the world, about maintaining peace, and what you know uh, a quote attributed to him is about that I find I think is one of the most. Um, encouraging and one of the most uh, profound statements that is made in the Bible philosophically. So do you have anything else for us, Russ? Well, if I could just hold on and listen, I'd appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for the call. Great points. And, um, you know, here's a quote that I do take to heart that was written in the Bible. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is quoting, quoted as saying, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not 
take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I, I look at that as a totally beautiful spiritual allegorical uh, statement that is talking about very similar to the same things that what Samuel Adams was talking about in his quote from, I believe, 1774 or 75 that I read earlier on the show. Um, he's saying that the truth is not about peace. Jesus always you know, referred to himself as the truth. This is the voice of truth. And he's saying he didn't come to bring peace. Truth is here to stir things up. It's here to create conflict. He came to bring a sword because so many people have begun accepting that which is not true as the way things are. You know, accepting illusion and fantasy as truth. And he came to turn people of their own family against each other. Those who would be willing to see the truth and go wherever it leads and those who would just stay in their ignorance and continue to engage the illusion. And that's going to create dichotomy. It's going to create conflict, especially in families. See, if, if you want to just maintain peace, you're not on the side of the truth. The truth is an uncomfortable process to go through, to recognize the reality of the world. It shouldn't make you comfortable. It shouldn't make things tranquil. It's a stirring up process. It's here to stir the pot. It is here to rock the boat. That's what the truth is about. You shouldn't be comfortable in the illusion. And in coming out of it, it's a a process involving turmoil and tumult. It's a tumultuous process. And he's saying, if you love your family more than you love me, meaning truth, then you're not worthy of the truth. You're, you should have all of the negative things that are going to result as, as a result of your willful refusal of truth to happen to you. That's, what, that's what's being said here. It's just like, you know, if you love wealth, you love your business because you have a business, you don't want to fight against tyranny, you'd rather be able to keep your little pittance that you make in your business than have real freedom. You know, you're not worthy of freedom then, which is what Adams is basically saying to these cowards that he was speaking to. And Jesus is saying, if you're unworthy to go and follow the truth wherever it leads, take up your cross, regardless of how uncomfortable it is going to be to engage truth and spread it to others. If you're not willing to do that, you're not worthy of the truth, the way, the truth, and the light. The way, the truth, and the life. And he's saying, whoever finds his life will lose it. Powerful statement. And meaning if you love your life more than you love truth and freedom, you're ultimately going to lose your life. Because what's your life worth? You're, it's not, you're, you're saying your life is worth more to you than truth and freedom. So you would defend your life, meaning you would stay in your shell, stay in your shackles, you would stay in your bindings, as long as you might you wouldn't have to take a chance to endanger your life. See, that's what he means by those who finds his life. Who It also means those who loves their life. 
loves, if you love your life more than you love truth, and again, this is a connotation of the word love. It means if you're willing to preserve just your life because you won't get your hands dirty in the fight for truth and freedom, because you won't speak out out of fear, because you, you're willing to stay in your shackles of safety and so-called security rather than come out onto the battlefield for truth and freedom, then you're not worthy of your life. You'll, you'll ultimately lose your life. You're going to lose everything that makes life worth living. And he says, whoever loses their life for my sake, for the sake of the truth, will find it. They'll have true power. They'll have true life. Their life will be imbued with meaning and purpose. If you lose your life, meaning you're willing to lay down your life for the truth, you don't care more about your life than you do about truth and freedom. Just like many of the revolutionaries who fought the Revolutionary War did. And they lost their lives physically, literally, in this engagement for truth and freedom. I don't know if we're at that level of courage as a people. I, I somehow am, uh, have a very negative stance when I look out the window, when I walk down the street and I see these dumbed down golems that have been made into a retarded form of life. They have been slowed down to a point where the mental processes are just not engaged enough to even understand what freedom is, let alone to have the willpower to be engaged enough to fight and protect it. But I do think there's that small irate, that tiny irate minority Samuel Adams talks about that may be able to put a dent in this and make a difference. Uh, you know, I still think it's possible. As for the masses, I think they are so hopelessly, irreversibly dumbed down that I don't put too much faith in anything that they could do in the way of creating real change here. But in that irate, tireless minority, if we really go even further, go all the way, and engage the will, maybe we can make something powerful and positive happen. Let's go back to the phones. Jane from Baltimore, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Yeah, Mark, I, I, I don't question your intentions or your sincerity, but I do have a problem with your idealized interpretation of the American War of Independence, which really was a civil war and not a popular revolution. And it was un opportunistically undertaken on the basis of securing support from other empires, including the Empire of Spain, the Kingdom of France, right. the Dutch Republic under the House of Orange, and Frederick the Great of Prussia but for, against the British Empire. Explain those, it, explain those reasons. It is because the revolutionaries would not have had the ability on their own to beat back a full invasion by the British. Of course they went to other uh, um, ruling elites in England and made deals with them to get the support that they needed. Otherwise, they would have been crushed. You know, they, they went to other ruling elites to fight against the crown uh, by promising certain things to get the, the resources, reserves, and actual physical men that they would need to command in order to, to have any fighting chance. You know, uh, I, I don't think that that means that their their intentions were necessarily uh, b bad. 
I think it's they did what they felt had to be done in order to have any fighting chance whatsoever without coming in and being crushed with a swift stroke, you know, on the, in the first in, invasion. They were in the middle of a world war, and, and to credit the cleverness and the brilliance of uh, colonial diplomats like Franklin and John Jay, were able to exploit and take advantage of this world war in order to get these other empires to gang up on the British. And especially French money, French troops, and the French Navy, which was pr pretty much completely responsible for the victory at Yorktown by bottling up the British. So, I mean, this was strategically critical, yeah, and it's it, it wouldn't idea, have happened otherwise. This is the classical strategy of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Of course they engaged in that. I don't, again, I don't right. think that inherently makes them evil in any way or means that they themselves had any like, motives to enslave the, the, hum the uh, American population. But I, I think, think they were appropriately cold-blooded and cynical about it, and that's how we should be when it comes to the Chinese communists, the Russian gangsters, the Muslim Brotherhood. What, what about and other forces that exist out in the world? What about the forces of communism and totalitarianism and fascism that are, are at work right here in the United States? What As we, I say, we may find ourselves in the position of having to play them off against each other, and we shouldn't have any illusions that somehow or other we're going to be able to adhere to some high-minded, perfect principle. It's going to be ruthless, and it's going to be dirty. Now... I, I, and, the, and the problem you're pointing to is in the midst of all this blood and filth and betrayal and intrigue and subversion, how do you maintain any integrity? How do you maintain um, the honesty of your intentions? This is the why, other thing I have a problem with is all revolution the, is ultimately failure. All revolution, if you let it get to the point where you need to do that, is going to involve coming down a notch to go forward a notch, so to speak. So what were the failures of the American Revolution? Clearly, they failed to abolish slavery, right. which yes. turned out to be a disaster. Well, there the, was a heavy, the first heavy thing is, in the signing of the Declaration of Independence, they couldn't even get that through without making capitulations to the South to uh, strike out the anti-black slavery clauses that were included in the original drafts. That's one of the first things that was a, a failure that started, I think, that, that, that moral failure paved the way for all of this coming back and encroachment of tyranny. That's one thing. Another there, thing, there's also the, also the question of the Native Americans of and course, the limits of the frontier. That they the conquered British this land to begin with, that it was already inhabited by people. We didn't just co-inhabit it. We came in and conquered it. That's another thing that, is, that can't be ignored, of course. So weren't the Indians, weren't the Indians really losers in the revolution? Well, let me put it this way. Not all of them, but weren't the tribes that were allied with the British, which I think were the majority, they really lost as a consequence. I, I, of the American Revolution. I agree. And again, in no way am I saying the American founding fathers were angels in any sense, nor should my words be construed to be interpreted as such. Okay. They were not fully enlightened. They did not go all the way toward the truth in understanding uh, high levels of how natural law operates, nor did they understand the fundamental unified uh, field aspect of reality of of oneness from a deeper spiritual perspective. They were not in non-duality. They were still in certain levels of a uh, dualistic mind state in their mind and in their behaviors. So they weren't perfect. They were as good as what we had available at that time period in human history. What I'm saying is we need to go far farther than what the founding fathers did. 
to, to create the pocket or the level of the ma maintaining of freedom that they were able to accomplish. By no means was it perfect, and in many ways it was a failure, because we wouldn't be talking about the need for a possible second revolution if it was successful. We would be truly free and really, you know, engaged in our natural inherent rights without usurpations on those rights. And that isn't what occurred. So, uh, Ultimately, when it gets to a point where it has to be done like this, you have to recognize you've already not been doing the real great work of changing consciousness enough. You didn't have enough people to get on board with that work and that effort. And if you want that chance to be able to happen sometime in the distant future, you're going to have to physically beat back the attack of aggression and violence that is actively being done to you because you weren't getting it done in consciousness all along. The founders' which, which fa major us. failure is that they did not properly put the... the um, con the, the, I don't even want to use the controls. They did not properly put the force of philosophy into place in the re-education of the, uh, the public that was living here in the colonies and then in the states after the American Revolution. They did not help to help those other people out of their lower mind state and consciousness and to get up to their level and to even go beyond it. They did not do that enough. They still took it up upon themselves as, well, we're just going to accomplish this physical task and things will be okay because we'll have this breathing room. But they didn't exercise enough uh, force and put enough effort into the re-education of the populace after that physical act was, was completed and accomplished. That, I think, is their major failure. And that brings us to the question of sovereignty. Right. Because who really has it? Do children have it? Do minors under the age of 18 have it? Do women have it? Women were not accorded the vote until 1920. All people the slaves, Were the slaves sovereign people? No, they were property. Right. Were, were the Indians sovereign? Not Well, they negotiated treaties as nations, but every one of those treaties was torn up. The right. only people who had sovereignty in the beginning were property owners. Right. And it, right. Took, it, took, it took several generations. But basically in reality, all people are sovereign. There is no such thing as a, a being that comes into this universe that's mm -hmm. not sovereign. We only are all someone sovereign. who's willing to fight for their freedom. The, uh, only someone who's willing to fight for their freedom and kill for it and die for it is sovereign, in my view. I, I would say they're the people who are deserving of the maintaining of that freedom without it, without them having to understand the Im importance, the value of it without it first being taken from them. I still wouldn't say that inherently that means that they are no longer sovereign. See, this comes to the point, and I, I think you've made some great points, Ross. I don't want to, uh, um, you know, uh, say that uh, the points that you have made aren't really worthy of considering, but I, I think we have to understand the difference between what is uh, someone who is inherently sovereign, and that sovereignty can never be really taken from them, even if they claim that they're okay with being a slave. And this, I, I, I'm going to let you go because I want to read a line to people. I want to read a quote uh, to people about, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, it, it, this isn't Russ, this was Jane. I'm, I apologize. Um, I'm going to mute, mute you up and you can continue to listen. But I want to read a quote Another quote by um, Samuel Adams that really speaks to this point, okay? And it's, it's one of his lesser-known quotes um, in, that he was writing in some of his letters. Uh, let me bring it up here because I think it's extremely powerful. And 
it's a quote that I think is underrated and people really haven't been exposed to very often. And here it is, quote, it is the greatest absurdity to suppose it in the power of one or any number of men at the entering into society to renounce their essential natural rights or the means of preserving those rights when the grand end of civil government from the very nature of its institution is for the support, protection, and defense of those very rights, the principle of which, as is being observed, as is before observed, are life, liberty, and property. If men, through fear, fraud, or mistake, should in terms renounce or give up an essential natural right, the eternal law of reason and the grand end of, civil, of society would absolutely vacate such a renunciation. The right of freedom being the gift of God Almighty, it is not in the power of man to alienate this gift and voluntarily become a slave. Now, if you really sit and break down each individual component of that, particularly in the last sentence of it, if men through fear, fraud, or mistake, through fear, through fraud, having things done fraudulently to them and being put through the ringer of mind control and mistake should in terms, that means over time, that's an older way of saying in terms means over time, should they renounce or give up their essential natural rights, meaning admit you have the authority to do this to me even though it doesn't exist in nature, the right to do such a thing, and uh, I'm going to accept you as an authority, and I'm going to accept that I have to obey your authority, meaning that I am a slave, okay? It says that such a renunciation of rights would be absolutely vacated by the laws of nature. In other words, you can claim all you want that you're a slave, just like they can claim all they want that they are masters, but it will never be so. It will never actually be such in nature. See, this is where the distinction that Richard brought up earlier about what people perceive versus what actually does exist in nature has to be made very clear. There is no such thing in nature as masters and slaves. It will has never existed and will never exist. In a diseased psyche, there has been a condition created on the earth through the disease of the psyche, of the experience of the relationship between a master and a slave, but know that that is only an experience that as is a result of a diseased psyche. In nature itself, those people who were the, the commanders or the masters were not really commanders or masters. They're playing that role. They're being perceived as such. If you were a completely objective observer that could somehow exist independently of this universe and look in on it, you would see these are just people having an experience that they that this side claims is a master and this side claims that they are their slaves or their subjects or servants. And in reality, that's not so. Nothing in nature makes that arrangement such. These are just choices to believe in certain completely unfounded and poisoned worldviews 
that have no bearing in truth or fact or principle and to, to latch onto those diseased ideas and accept them as being true when in fact they are in no way true. That, that, uh, that distinction has to really be understood. That there, in, in nature, there is no such thing as a master or a slave because in nature, there is no such thing as the authority of one being over another. does not exist. If you think that that exists in nature, you are delusional. Delusional. Doesn't exist, never has existed, never will exist because no such right exists in nature under the laws of creation. There is no such right as a right to to command as a right to be an authority, as a right to conduct violence against someone else and have the right to do so. The right doesn't, that right doesn't exist. You're always committing a wrong in engaging in that behavior. So what Adams is saying here is since freedom is a gift from God and it exists inherently in creation, it can never be separated from man, nor is it in man's power to separate it from himself. You cannot in nature, in reality, say, I'm a slave and you're my master. It cannot be done. Since that is against inherent laws of creation, you can only make the claim, but it will never make it true. Nobody can voluntarily be a slave. If you're, you think you can do that and accept slavery, you are wrong, meaning you are existing within wrong. You are not in harmony with Cosmic spiritual laws of creation. No one can voluntarily say, I am a slave and make it be so. You are always free. You are always sovereign. You always have been sovereign. You are sovereign now and you will forever be sovereign. Meaning there is no one above you. Natural law is the only thing that you stand under and cannot supersede, cannot stand above. That's it. That's the truth of creation for all time, not because I said it. Do I happen to understand it? Yes, I do. Many other people have understood it throughout time. Many people after me will understand it. There is nothing special about me except perhaps for the fact that I've been able to come out of the mind control to such an extent to understand natural law to the extent that I do. Other people are still in that retarded, dumbed down mind state who can't see this clearly. So let's uh, go to another phone call. Here we go. Area code uh, 905. Uh, you're live on what on earth is happening. We only have a couple of minutes left. What do you have for us? Uh, hi. If you have someone that's totally intent on doing violence, won't listen to reason or anything, yep. isn't the most loving thing you could do for them <clears throat> to, to block them from doing that violence by whatever means? I would agree. And that's where we're at. That's the decision that we have to make. Are we going to continue to allow people who are conducting violence to just continue to do it unchecked? And is well, that, that a right that, or, or is that no, wrong? That, that won't make safety. You can't just, once reason is being rejected, you can't make safety by just letting the criminals carry that's on. exactly right. See, the, the way you stop it, the way you do uh, provide a, le a level of insulation against that negative eventuality is you make sure from the time that the being is young that you hammer 
the understanding of the laws of creation of how we create our experience into them. This is why shamanic and indigenous tribal cultures do not have the rates of violence by any stretch of the imagination, even per capita, even by numbers of population that we do in the Western world, or, or again, throughout the world, really. The, they teach their children the laws of creation. They teach their children inherent natural law rights from very young ages, and they are not really permitted to refuse those, or they get ostracized from the society and cast out into the jungles where it's basically a death sentence. That's how they handle that problem from ever manifesting in large numbers, and that's the right way to handle it. Unfortunately, we have not decided to do anything about the continued usurpations of violence.